Well, good morning, River City. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here. If you are new or visiting, which it feels like there are many of you who are new or visiting this morning, I just want to say welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to help you get plugged into the community here at River City. Uh, like Becky was saying as well, I want to specifically encourage you, come check out Vision Night tonight. If you call River City home or you're considering calling River City home, then Vision Night's a great place to figure out like what what really is River City about? What makes us tick? What's the, what are the, what's the big E on the I chart around here? And what might it look like for you to be a part of that this coming year? And so um, just want to encourage you to check that out. If you can't come, find the, uh, the stream link. Uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that and see what God's up to with, the, with River City this coming year. So i uh, love to invite you as well into our fall sermon series. We're working our way through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, but if you've been gone or you're just joining us for the first time, it's really important to understand that, that kind of the central recurring theme in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians is, is Jesus's return, his second coming, this day when Jesus promised he would come again to earth to usher in his good kingly rule and reign once and for all. And at the heart of Paul's teaching throughout the letters is about how the reality of that future day is meant to transform our lives now, today, in other words, we've seen how the, the central theme of Paul's writing in the Thessalonians is, is about how faith in Jesus is meant to produce a sanctifying hope in us, right? a kind of hope for the future that doesn't just change the way that we die one day, but that changes the way we live each and every day. And as we continue our study this week, we're going to see Paul highlighting our need for the Holy Spirit's presence and power as we live in the waiting for Jesus' return. And at the very heart of Paul's teaching on Jesus' return throughout these letters is, is just the reality that, that as Christians whose faith is rooted in what Jesus has already done in his death and resurrection, and whose hope is set on what Jesus promised he will do in the future in his return, we live in this kind of awkward in-between phase, this middle ground, right? In between the already and the not yet. And the truth is, is that it's hard to live in the middle, it's hard to live in the middle. It's hard to live by faith and not by sight. It's hard to endure the mess and the brokenness of sin. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> mm. I left my water on the back. Paul, can you grab that for me? Thank you. Anyways, um, it's hard to live in the middle, right? It's hard to live in that spot where things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And Thanks, Paul. And, and to live with a kind of perspective and attitude that has like an enduring kind of a hope and faith when things just persistently don't feel like they're getting any better sometimes and pressing into the kind of life that God calls us to live as we wait. In my heart for you this morning, what I want to show you from our passage is that if we're going to have any kind of a shot at being characterized by the kind of sanctifying hope that faith in Jesus is meant to produce in us, then we're going to need to understand and to embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church, including the aspects of his work that feel unfamiliar, that feel unusual, and that might even feel a bit uncomfortable. Specifically this morning, we're going to see Paul talking about prophecy, right? Buckle up. It's bound to be interesting this morning, right? I'm not sure about you, 
Prophecy is not something that's on the top of my mind all the time, right? It's not something I'm just like constantly thinking about, right? It can feel a bit mysterious, right? It can feel kind of like a little, like, I don't really know what to do with that, right? Like, I don't know how, what, what we're thinking about here. And sometimes it can feel even a little bit dangerous. But what I hope that you come away from the, this sermon believing is that the prophetic work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is meant by God to be a good gift from him that is meant to encourage and strengthen us as we live in the in-between. As we live in that spot where we live by faith in what Jesus has done and with hope in what he's promised he's going to do, the prophetic work of the Spirit is meant to be an encouraging, empowering, sustaining thing that helps us to live in that difficult space in the middle. It's meant as a gift as we walk through the challenges of life in his already but not yet kingdom. So here's the reality. We need all the help we can get. And Paul wants us to see that this is part of the way God seeks to help his people. And so, with that in mind, let's pray. We'll dive into God's word and see if we can't find the sanctifying, empowering presence of the Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we're grateful for you. And we're thankful for your word, even the weird parts, <laughs> even the parts that feel a little uncertain and uncomfortable. And God, as we talk about prophecy this morning and the work of your Spirit in our lives, God, I pray that you just like would be gracious like those, those feelings in us, some of us, that just feel like, oh, geez, everything's getting a little weird, that you just like settle that in our hearts. God, and for those of us um, who need to grow in our discernment, we pray that you just like graciously help us to think clearly about these things. God, we want to see your Spirit's empowering presence in our lives as a good gift from you. That's meant to build up your body and to empower us to be your people in the world, proclaiming Jesus. And so we need your help for all of that. And um, God, I know I need it this morning. And so might you meet us in our need, help us see the good news of your empowering Spirit's presence in our lives, we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to be this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. It reads this way. Short and sweet, verse 20, or verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what's good, reject every kind of evil. Now, just like last week, our passage this week, short, sweet, to the point. Unlike last week, I don't feel like I could just read it and then sit down, right? There's a little more, maybe a little more confusing going on here, right? You quick read through the passage and you're probably left with a number of questions right off the bat, right? Like, what does it mean to quench the spirit, right? And I'm not even sure I really know what prophecy really is, let alone how you treat it with contempt or how you test it, right? And all of those are really great and understandable questions, and I promise we are going to get to at least some of it, right? But I think the best place to start is just by defining what prophecy is. New Testament scholar Wayne Grudem, he sums up the way the Bible talks about prophecy this way. He says, prophecy is the reception and subsequent transmission of divinely originating revelation. I'll just put it more simply. Uh, prophecy is God speaking to people through people, right? Prophecy is when God speaks to people through people. We see prophecy happening throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a small select group of what kind of are known as kind of capital P prophets, Right? 
There's a whole series of books in the Old Testament known as the major or minor prophets that are named after these guys, guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right? list goes on, right? And their role was to take whatever message God had given them. Sometimes he gave it to them verbally, or sometimes he wrote it down. Like in the, uh, Sometimes he gave it to them in a vision or a dream. And their job was to take whatever message God had communicated to them and to tell that message, to communicate it to whoever he told them it was for. And when they spoke, it was as if God himself was speaking, right? Which is why they would often say stuff like, thus says the Lord, right? And so to disobey or to disregard a prophet in the Old Testament was to functionally disobey and disregard God himself. That's the kind of weight and authority that prophecy in the Old Testament had, right? In the New Testament, though, we see that prophecy looks uh, uh, significantly different, In the New Testament, the only people with kind of thus says the Lord authority were the apostles themselves, people who had been taught with and commissioned by Jesus to build his church. And after they died, there aren't any more people with kind of capital P prophet authority, right? People who can say like, thus says the Lord. But just because there aren't any more capital P prophets doesn't mean there isn't any more prophecy. Let me just explain that. You see, near the end of the Old Testament, God began to give prophets insight into this coming day when it wouldn't just be this small select group of people who would be able to hear from God directly, but instead that God's spirit would come to dwell in and amongst his people and that therefore anyone who belonged with him would be able to hear from him. And in Acts chapter 2 at at Pentecost, Peter gives the first sermon in the New Testament and he explains to the people that 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 day has come. And he quotes the prophet Joel, who said this, In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. But the thing that's really important that you understand is not just that prophecy in the New Testament is like more broad, like lowercase p prophets, right? Um, but is that... Prophecy in the New Testament, although it's something all of God's people can do, it it doesn't have the same authority as Old Testament prophecy, right? If someone comes up to you today and says, well, I think God told me X, or right, or I think God wants you to do Y, right? Instead of that bearing like the weight of the word of God, right, and requiring just kind of an unquestioned obedience to it, we're instead called, as we see in our passage this morning, to test it, right, to weigh it, to think through it and be like, I don't know, right? Like, let, let's think through and see if that really is the case. And we'll get to that more in a minute, but the point is this, is that New Testament prophecy is not authoritative, right? It's subordinate to God's revealed and confirmed word through the, the apostles and the prophets, a.k.a. the Bible, right? In addition, right, New Testament prophecy takes on a much broader scope than just kind of, thus says the Lord, I got a message from God type thing, Right? What we see throughout Scripture and throughout church history is that that kind of the umbrella of New Testament prophecy includes everything from faithful preaching and teaching and application of God's written word to a specific group of people. It includes sensing God leading you to go somewhere or do something or say something. It includes kind of having, as Aaron, I remember one time put it, having like a kind of a sanctified hunch about something God is up to, something he's doing. It includes the feeling, sensing the need to pray about something specific for someone, just kind of out of the blue. It Sensing God giving you a passage of scripture or a word of encouragement for a friend in the middle of a conversation. Or maybe it includes things like your friend Aaron sitting you down at a coffee shop one day and telling you that he's pretty sure that God's calling you to plant a church in Dubuque with him, right? 
in case that's ever happened to any of you. <laughs> it may have happened to me that way, right? Um, well, most of the time in the Old Testament, messages God's given the prophets were communicated in ways that were kind of undeniable, right? That were, they were from him. Today, prophetic messages from God, they're largely communicated by what you might refer to as kind of intuition, right? One pastor I listened to this week, he described it this way. It's like, God, it's like God's speaking by direct deposit into people's thinking and feeling. Like I mentioned earlier, maybe you get a sense that God's putting someone or something on your heart. Maybe he's brought a certain passage to mind that you think someone really needs to hear in that moment. I'll say one last thing before we move on here. I think that most of the time when we tend to think about prophecy, we tend to think about like future casting and foretelling, right? And while there is this element of a future element in biblical prophecy about what's going to happen in the future, just the reality is, is that the vast majority of prophecy in the Old Testament is not about what's going to happen. It's about what God has already said and what he's already done. So much of the work of prophets, commentators, they say it this way, is that it's not about foretelling, it's about forthtelling. It's about prophets reminding and helping people remember all that God has said and done, calling people to faith and obedience to his word and to his purposes. See, but the most important thing that you understand about prophecy isn't the, isn't the what, but is the why. What's the point of it? What is it for? Right? What we see throughout the scriptures is that prophecy is meant to have a clear effect. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says it this way, right? He describes the intended effect that prophecy is supposed to have as it is intended to be strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. See, what that means is the point of prophecy today is to edify and to build up the people of God. It's to encourage you. It's to strengthen you. It's to comfort you in the truth. As we live in the anticipation of the day when all that Jesus has promised will be brought to reality. Right? Like we said, we live in that middle in the waiting. Prophecy's meant to help us in that period. And if we're going to allow the prophetic work of God's Spirit to be strengthening, encouraging, and comforting in our lives, then what I want to show you this morning is that there's two things in a passage that Paul says we are going to need to avoid and two things we're going to need to pursue. Right, so if we want prophecy to have its intended effect, to be encouraging, to be strengthening, to be comforting, there's two things we've got to avoid, two things we've got to pursue. First is this. First thing we need to avoid is cynically rejecting the prophetic work of God's Spirit. Cynically rejecting it. Verse 19, Paul says it this way. Don't quench the Spirit. Right, that language about quenching, it brings to mind the image of throwing water on a fire, right? Kind of like snuffing out a fire. And throughout the Bible, we see that God's spirit is medically, metaphorically associated with fire. And so when Paul says, don't quench the spirit, what he's saying is like, don't dump water on the spirits, the fire of the spirit's work in your life and in your church and in your community. Because right, at the heart of what the New Testament writers and what Jesus himself teaches is that God's people really desperately need his spirit empowering our lives. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus specifically tells the disciples, do not go anywhere. Do not do anything. Do not start the ministry I've commissioned to you. Don't start until my spirit comes to empower you to do it. You don't have what you need. You are incapable. You need the spirit of God. He's not an added bonus. His presence and power are necessary for God's people to be and do what God has called us to be and do. 
And so the question that you have to ask then is, right, how do you quench the Spirit, right? And there's a lot of ways you could throw kind of a wet blanket on the Spirit's work in your life, right? First, you can just ignore him altogether, right? So many Christians today live with this kind of like functionally atheistic view of the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. The Spirit thing, that's weird. Like, we don't deal with that, right? Like, like let somebody else think about it, right? But just like I mentioned before, Jesus makes clear that the Holy, <coughs> the Holy Spirit is not an added bonus in our lives. His ministry is, ne- is necessary, Second, I think one of the ways that we quench the Spirit's work in our lives is by limiting the scope of His work in our lives today. Uh, I'll just shoot straight with you. This sermon would have been a lot easier to write uh, if I was a cessationist, if I just believed that kind of the miraculous work of the Spirit just like didn't happen anymore today, right? I could just be like, hey, well, that was fun to read, doesn't apply anymore, moving on, right? But most people who hold that kind of a view, they, that articulate that the reason why we don't need things like prophecy anymore is because we have the Bible, right? We have the whole thing, and that, that's all that we need. And while I absolutely want to affirm the authority and the supremacy of God's Word, I'll just say, after a lot of years of study and just doing ministry, I just don't think that that position holds up exegetically or experientially. And here's the reality. We're not going to hammer this issue here at River City. It is not the big E on the I chart, right? If you are here this morning and you're like, I just don't think that those, like the, the more miraculous works of the Spirit are for today, you are still welcome here, right? Like, it's not like you're ostracized. It's not like you have to, it's like, it's not like you're in if you don't, if you're not all in on that. But I do think that just kind of wholesale limiting the work of the Spirit based on some pretty uncertain verses, and if we're honest, mostly just bad experiences, that that is really limiting the Spirit's work in your heart and your life in ways that I think are going to hamper your growth and your effectiveness in ministry. So we, we quench that, I think, by limiting Him, by ignoring Him. Thirdly, I think we just do it by sinning, right? He's not just the Spirit, He's the Holy Spirit. And when we sin, we are living at odds with Him, right? And we quench, we cut off, we put out the fire of intimacy with Him in our lives, and so ignoring the Spirit, limiting and sinning, they're all ways we quench the Spirit. But another way that we see in our past this morning is just by despising His empowering work, which is what we, was apparently happening in Thessalonica. Verse 20, Paul says it this way, don't treat prophecy with contempt, which means to look down on it, to mock it, to despise it, or just to devalue it and push it to the side. And there's all kinds of reasons that we treat prophetic work of the Spirit with contempt, right? Sometimes, we just don't actually, the truth is, we just don't actually want to hear from God, right? God's word, like God's word is meant to encourage, edify, support us, right? But it's not always those things, right? Sometimes it does, it, it exhorts us. Sometimes the way it comforts us is by calling us out of sin and into holiness. And sometimes the truth is, is that like, that's just not that comfortable and you'd rather not hear it, right? Prophecy is often a disruptor of the status quo, But secondly, I think probably most broadly, the reason why we treat it with contempt is because we've seen it misused or abused. See, the truth is that it's it's often hard to challenge something that somebody says is done kind of in God's name or or kind of like uh, in the name of the Spirit without appearing just very unspiritual, right? Which is why gifts like prophecy are often subject to abuse and manipulation. And that was certainly at least part of what was happening in Thessalonica. We briefly read about this in chapter 4. We're going to see it a lot more clearly at the end of 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3. 
But what was happening in, in Thessalonica is that there was apparently people who were using prophecy about Jesus' return as an excuse to just kind of be lazy, to not work, and to just kind of mooch off the graciousness of others. And so it seems like at least part of what was going on in Thessalonica is that they were seeing like, listen, people are using prophecy to do stuff that just seems totally out of line with God's word and his will. So like, we're just going to put the kibosh on all of it, right? Right? Maybe you've seen stuff like that happen. Maybe you've seen people using prophecy to try to control other people or to swindle money out of people, right? And those are real problems. But, but just because there are misuses of those giftings of the Spirit doesn't mean you kind of need to just like chuck the baby out with the bathwater, right? Gordon Fee, he's one New Testament commentator, he says it this way, despite the fact that the ministries of the Spirit can be abused in the Christian community, Paul's own deep appreciation for the central role of the Spirit in the individual and in the corporate life will not allow for correcting abuse by commanding disuse, but rather the antidote for abuse is instead proper use. And he says, listen, just because things are being used incorrectly doesn't mean that it in itself is wrong. That's careful and important for us. All right, so we can treat prophecy with contempt, right, because we don't want to hear from God, because it's been misused. But often I think one of the reasons why you do it is because it's just unfamiliar to us. It's just like one of those things you're like, I don't really, know, I don't really get it, I'm just going to avoid it, right? I, I don't really know how to use it rightly, so I'm just not going to think about it at all, right? But Paul encourages us, he says, don't do that. Don't quench the Spirit by despising His work in your midst, Right? But cynically rejecting the work of the Spirit in our midst isn't the only thing we're supposed to avoid doing. Right? Paul goes on, right? He doesn't say that, he doesn't say that we're just supposed to accept everything. Right? He instead, right, we've also got to avoid kind of just gullibly or naively receiving it. Right? The solution to despising prophecy isn't accepting all of it full sale, right? Just blindly, everything somebody says that they say is from God, cool. Yes. Instead, it says the, the right response is to test everything. You see, some Christians are tempted to this kind of overly cynical, overly cautious view of, of prophecy, and others are just tempted to just like, well, yeah, anything anyone says that they say is from God, all in. This is great, right? right? Some churches and movements are so in awe of prophets and prophecy that they just neglect to test anything at all. And the results of those things are disastrous, not only including all kinds of highly questionable behavior, but the perpetuation of false teaching and heresy, right? Just, I'll just add this, spoiler alert, right? Paul makes really clear that the manifesting work of the Spirit in somebody's life is not a sign of spiritual maturity, right? Read the letter to the Corinthians. Paul's like, God's gifted you in all kinds of ways, and you are morons. Like, stop, like... God's gifting in your life is not the evidence of spiritual maturity, right? See, just because someone says they heard from God doesn't mean they actually did or that they even understood what they heard rightly, which is why instead of cynically rejecting or blindly receiving it, we need to do two things with it. So don't cynically reject and don't gullibly receive. Instead, test, right? So the first thing we need to do is to test it. The word Paul uses there in verse 21, it's translated as test. It means to examine or investigate something with regards to its trustworthiness or genuineness. Right? He's saying the only way for prophecy to be strengthening, encouraging, comforting, the thing it's meant to be, 
is if you confirm that what you're hearing is actually from God. All right, before we talk about how you test prophecy, let me just say that the command to test prophecy is actually really encouraging and really freeing. Because what it means is that if you think that God might be speaking to you, you don't have to have 1,000% laser accuracy on it. Right? You can come instead with humility and say, like, you know, I think God might be, might be saying this, but like, would you all please, like, let's test it together, right? Like, let's see, like, is that really true? If it's not, that's okay. It could be a bad cheeseburger. I don't know, right? Like, that's all right. So it enables us to have like a sense of humility as we come with that stuff, right? But also it prevents the opposite, right? It prevents somebody from just kind of brazenly walking around thinking like, I know God's will for you, right? Like I have it lasered down, this is it, just bam, listen to me, right? See, New Testament prophecy is not the same as old. And that leads us to the question about how to test it, right? You probably notice Paul gives us, Paul doesn't actually give us any criteria in our passage this morning about how to test. He just says to test it, which means he must have given them some other instructions while he was with them, right? And it'd be great if there was like just like an organized list somewhere, but there isn't. Uh, but instead what we find is a bunch of examples throughout the New Testament about what it looks like to do that. And what I want to do this morning is to give you five questions to ask as you think about testing any kind of prophetic work you might see. Five, five questions that we see modeled in Scripture. Number one, does it align with what the Bible says? Right? Does it match up with what the apostles and the prophets who wrote down God's word, does it match up with what they have said? Here's the bottom line. God is never going to contradict himself. It's not going to happen. Right? So if the scriptures clearly teach something and your friend Bill or whatever just says like, hey, you should do something else, go with the Bible, not Bill. Right? Like, just like that's, that's the step one. Right? For example, if somebody tells you that, that God told them when Jesus is coming back, and because you know when he's coming back, then you should like get ready. And here's what you have to do. Just you can go ahead and chuck that, right? Just immediately. Because Jesus himself said, nobody knows, not even him. It's gonna come, he's gonna come like a thief in the night. So if anyone ever tells you God told them when Jesus is coming back, you know that he didn't, right? That's just not how it works. He's not gonna contradict himself. One commentator put it this way: remember that what is spoken in any prophecy today is not the word of God but is simply a human being reporting in merely human words something which God might have brought to mind. And that's why it is so important that you know your Bible. That's why it's so important that you know your Bible. See, sometimes people think that, that embracing the idea of prophecy is just like, well, you're just chucking God's word, that's out the window, everything's gone. But in fact, embracing the prophetic work of the Spirit should actually have the exact opposite effect. It should be driving us back to God's word to be constantly checking and testing. Is what is being said, is this match up with God's word? Is this true? Is this reliable? Is this right? See, it's, it's like at a bank, right? When bank tellers get trained, every bank teller gets trained how to identify counterfeit money, right? And you'd think that a bank teller would get trained to identify counterfeit money by seeing a bunch of examples of counterfeit money, right? He's like, well, how else are you going to know? That's actually not how they do it. The way a bank teller gets trained to identify counterfeit money is by becoming an expert in the real thing. And that's the same thing is with prophecy. The only way you're going to be able to identify the counterfeit is when you become an expert in the real thing. When you have a confidence and a familiarity with God's word and you can look back and think, hey, this is not the same. This is out of line with it, right? 
Nothing must be allowed to supplant God's written word as our highest and most trustworthy authority in our lives. So number one, does it align with scripture? Number two, does it exalt Jesus or distract from him? Right? In John 14 through 16, Jesus highlights how the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to floodlight him, is to shine light on his ministry and his work. Right? And in 1 John chapter 4, it reads that, that every spirit, right, every, prof, every prophet claiming inspiration from God that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Right? See, if a prophetic word is ever minimizing Jesus, you know it's not from God. Right? The flip side of that same coin right, is if, like, if prophecy seeks to elevate people, like to glorify people, you just know like, that's, not how not, that's not how God works. The way God encourages, the way he exhorts, the way he affirms, the way he comforts is by elevating Jesus in our hearts and minds. And so if prophecy elevates people, you should be real suspect of that, right? Third, what is the purpose of this prophetic word, right? Like we saw earlier in 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy is intended to edify and build up God's people, right? right? If its effects of, of whatever you are hearing is otherwise, then you should have really good reason to be suspicious, right? What that also means is that even if whatever you might be sensing or hearing from God, is maybe it's correction or maybe it's rebuke, right? Maybe it's a call to repentance, right? If, that, if the tone and posture of that word is not characterized by the fatherly love of God, then you should be real suspicious because God does not speak in angry tones. He comes as a loving father who graciously corrects and calls us, right? He's not the angry dad who's just screaming, right? All right, number four. What is the character of the person this prophecy might be coming from? Right? If prophecies are the work of the Holy Spirit, then there should be evidence of the Spirit's work in somebody's life who's sharing it, Right? Right? Namely, that that person is faithfully following the Lord and that their lives are increasingly looking more and more like Jesus. Right? When Jesus warned about watching out for false prophets in Matthew 7, he said that you would recognize them by the fruit of their lives. Right? Just as a tree can be identified as fruit, so a false prophet may be identified by his character or conduct. Right? And so if there's a big question about somebody's character, right, the more skeptical you should be about who is sharing whatever it is. Lastly, number five, does the community affirm it? Right, when Paul gives instructions about how to administer prophecy in the gathering in 1 Corinthians 14, he says that others should carefully weigh whatever is said. Essentially what he's saying is like, listen, it's not up to one person. Right? If, any, if anyone ever is just like, well, this person's the one who decides if this is from God or not, that's a problem. Right? It's meant to be done in the context of community where multiple people can come together and affirm what, what might be happening there. Right? Right? Don't just think that if you think it's good, then, other, then it must be, right? Ask your small group, your close friends, your family, maybe your pastor to help people around you to think through those things. I remember when I was working through whether or not God was calling us to pastor this church and to be a part of planting it, I remember I told my dad about what Aaron had said to me and about how he thought God might be calling me to do that. And I really thought that my dad was just going to be like, that is a dumb idea, right? Like, like, you are not ready for that. Like, that is not your thing. You know, like, you don't even have a seminary degree at this point, right? And that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. But I shared that with him, and he just, like, immediately was like, yeah, that's definitely something you should do. And, like, that moment for me was, like, one of the ways that God really began to affirm those kinds of things. There's a number of other people that spoke into that as well. So those five questions, right, they're not exhaustive, but they should give you a great place to start when evaluating any prophetic words you might encounter. But we're not just supposed to evaluate, right? We're not just supposed to test. 
The, the second thing Paul wants us to do is to carefully interpret and apply. Verse 21 through 22 goes on, says it this way, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. All right, in the Old Testament, prophecy was black and white. It was either from God, it wasn't. You either all in, all out, no middle ground. But New Testament prophecy is not the same. It's a kind of a mixed bag. Right? And the word Paul uses to, for testing, it suggests that prophecy is to be evaluated because it's probably not all completely right on. Wayne Grudem puts it this way, remember that what is spoken in any prophecy today is not the word of God, but is simply a human being reporting what they think they might have heard from God. And so prophecy by its nature in the New Testament has both truth and error in it, truth that comes from God, but error that comes from people, the conduit. This week, I was, it was helpful. One pastor, I think, articulated it this way. It's helpful to think about prophecy in three parts, right? Revelation, which is what God has said, interpretation, which is what it means, and application, what you're supposed to do with it. And we need to keep testing at all those kind of spots because maybe what you did here was from God, but maybe you just misunderstood what it meant or what you were supposed to do it. Right? There's a really great example in Acts chapter 21 where we read about how some disciples uh, discerned by the Spirit, a.k.a. prophecy, uh, that Paul, if, that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to encounter a bunch of suffering, so he shouldn't go. Right? But Paul is like, nah, I'm going to go anyways. Right? I'm, I'm still going to go. Right? And he does that because he was convinced that the Spirit was calling him that way. And what the passage is not bringing into question is that what the disciples discerned about what would happen to Paul if he went to Jerusalem. Right? There certainly was suffering in store for Paul. But it seems like what they got wrong was the interpretation. Right? For them, it seems like they thought, well, if suffering is at the end of this road, you shouldn't go down this road. And Paul, if there's one person who knew that suffering was not antithetical to God's work or his will, it was the Apostle Paul. Right? And so he's not calling into question what they heard from the Spirit, He's just like, I don't think that's the right application of that, right? All that to say that once you test prophecy for its genuineness, you've got to carefully interpret and apply whatever it is, right? Essentially, right, the, just like the, just essentially what he's saying is chew the meat and spit out the bones, right? And you do this in community and you do it through prayer and you do it with your Bible open, right? Hold on to whatever is good, whatever is from the Spirit, be encouraged by it, listen to it, be strengthened and comforted, right? And whatever is not from him, whatever doesn't line up with his word, whatever's not affirmed by community, whatever doesn't match the test, right? Then reject it. That word that Paul uses is really strong there. He doesn't say just like, keep it in the back of your mind, right? He doesn't say like, just like, man, hold on, come back to it later, he says reject it, right? The same word that Paul used when he's talking about avoiding sexual immorality. It means to be completely cut up from. He's like, listen, chuck it. If it's not from the Spirit, chuck it. And that might include things like mixed in bias or opinions. That might include some lousy theology. It might include some weird political emphasis somebody has, right? Who knows, right? Paul's saying, chew the meat, spit out the bones. I'll just add this. If you grew up in a church, you might be familiar with the KJV translation of this, of verse 22 here, right? Which, which in the KJV, it's, it's translated as not, not reject evil, but it's said to abstain from every form of evil or to avoid even the appearance of evil. And that's been used to kind of mean that like, we sh that, that the way you do here is like you avoid anything, even if it could be remotely considered good. You gotta, you gotta chuck it, even if, even if it's good, it might somehow, under some vague circumstances, be considered evil in some possible way. 
But Paul's not saying that we should avoid something that might mistakenly appear to be evil. He commands us to avoid evil wherever and however it happens. Right? And so prophecy. God speaking to people, through people. Everyone's good on that, right? Like, and no one has any more questions. We've answered everything. I see lots of head nods. We can move on. Great, great. I'm glad we solved that problem this morning, right? Here's the reality. It's one of those things that just is kind of a little confusing, right? It's one of those things that for a lot of us just feels a little out there, right? And I want to encourage you this morning, right? Uh, I probably didn't answer every question you had, right? The passage is one sentence long, right? Maybe we didn't get to all of it. Hopefully we got to some things that are helpful. But what I do want to encourage you, I want to encourage you is that Paul urges us as God's people to understand and to embrace the work of the Spirit in our midst, not just because like, it's a good value, or not just because like, it's, like, it's just objectively something important, but because God's prophetic work by His Spirit is meant to encourage and strengthen and comfort God's people. And he's saying, it's meant to be a blessing to you. It's meant to help you in the in-between as we need to live out who God's called us to be, as we live in faith in what he's done and in hope for what he will do. It's meant to help you on the way. It's meant to be a way you get to encourage and strengthen one another. I have countlessly over the years found ways that God is, I'm meeting with somebody and God brings to mind a verse. I wasn't thinking about that, that is for darn sure, right? But as I've shared that with my friend, it was exactly what they needed to hear in that moment. Or even just this past week at small group, there's a friend in our small group who was just sharing something really difficult and we prayed for them. But after we prayed, I just felt like God wanted me to say something to them. And, and they were just feeling like really weak and really defeated. And I just felt like God was urging me in the moment to come back and to say to them, listen, you are weak and you totally don't have what you need, right? And without Jesus, nope, you should feel defeated, right? But I just went to this person and I said, the truth of the scriptures is that you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so you have everything you need. He can empower you for what he's calling you to do. He can give you strength in the midst of this moment. He can give you hope even when it feels hopeless. See, God wants to use that kind of stuff. He wants to use those things to encourage, to build up, to strengthen one another. And so I want to encourage you, ask him if he might use that through you. But here's the thing I'll add is we, we got to wrap up here. We really got to wrap up. Okay, uh, here's what I add. The only reason why it's possible for us to have the empowering, encouraging presence and power of God's spirit in our lives is because of Jesus. It's because of all that he has done, his death in our place, on our behalf. It doesn't just grant us forgiveness, it purifies us so that his spirit can come and dwell in us as his people and to empower us to be and to do what he's called us to be and do. And it's Jesus' death that we're remembering and celebrating every week when we take communion. We're reminding ourselves that it's because his body was broken and his blood was shed that you and I can not only have relationship with him, but can have the power and presence of his spirit fueling our lives lived for his glory. And so if you put your trust in Jesus, or you do for the first time this morning, then I want to encourage you during our time of communion, go back. Take communion, dip the bread in the juice. There's the table on the back, on the left, on the right. Do it as a celebration, as just like this glad reminder of all that Jesus has been and done for you. 
But if you're here this morning, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, maybe you're figuring out what it means to follow him, or maybe you're realizing that you just like, you don't even know what any of this spirit stuff is, and you're like, I don't even know, I'm, I'm not ready yet. I want to encourage you. You are welcome here, but hold off on taking communion. God's not after religious rituals, and he's not after going through the motions. He's after a heart that trusts him completely. So wherever you're at this morning, as we take communion, as we sing, as we remember the gospel together in song, I want to encourage you to talk with God. Where might God by his spirit be challenging you to grow? Right? Maybe it's in the areas of things that we need to work on avoiding. Right? Maybe you're realizing that you are characterized by kind of cynically rejecting the work of the spirit in your life. Or maybe you're characterized by just by blindly receiving it, and you really need to grow in some discernment. Right? Maybe others of you are here, and you're like, wow, I really got to know my Bible better. If I'm going to be able to test the word that I might be hearing, I really got to, I really got to grow in my familiarity with God's word. Right? Maybe you need to work in applying things carefully. Wherever you're at, I want to just encourage you, a good first step to take is just to be sensitive to what God's Spirit is doing when you interact with other people. Ask him to empower you to be a blessing and an encouragement to the people that you're meeting up with and to the people that you do life with, right? Pray without ceasing like we talked about last week. On, the way, on your drive to work in the morning, be praying, God, what might be, what, how might you be inviting me to be a part of what you're doing in my workplace this morning? In the midst of your conversations, just in the moment, God, is there something you want to say to this person? Is there anything, is there a verse you want me to remind them of? Is there an encouraging word from your spirit that you have for them? Right, and all these things will need both boldness and humility. A humility that realizes that we are dependent on God for everything and boldness that realizes that he wants to use us for the good of the community. And so let's ask him that he'll empower us in those ways for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thanks so much for your word and for our time together in it this morning. Uh, God, prophecy is a weird thing to talk about. It's a hard thing to kind of wrap your brain around and to totally understand. God, we pray that you might use even the subtle ways we've talked about it this morning to bring about good, to encourage, to strengthen, to comfort us as we live in the in-between, as we seek to live out in the, live in the kind of sanctifying hope you've called us to, out of faith in what Jesus has done, hope in what he will do, empowered by your spirit for all of it every day, we pray. Amen.